Good morning, this is Randy Landry, and this is my 124th podcast in Common Sense of Ramblings in America. Today I'm going to continue on with reading my short stories. So without further ado, let's begin. I hope you've been enjoying these. I've been enjoying reading them, even though I've read them several times and since I even wrote them. So, But they're still fun to recount. Gramps in the Swanee River. When Gramps moved to Florida, he had slowed down a step or two, but he still wanted to be involved in the family outings or activities. He was afraid of missing out on anything. My sister Regina lived and still does live in Lake City, Florida. There are two rivers close to where she lives. One is the world-famous Itchy Tuckney River and Springs, known for its crystal clear water and inner tube floating down the river. Down the river. Of course, Gramps wanted to go. On this particular weekend, both Regina and I distinctly remember that Ronnie and his family tagged along. This was a rare occasion, and it was probably the reason that they planned on having this trip to commemorate the occasion. So Stephen and Regina planned out the trip with just the right number of canoes needed. He rented a trailer and canoes that had all of them ready for us. He had life jackets and special chairs so you could so you sit in them in the canoe. To make Gramps comfortable, he strapped a seat in the middle of one canoe, and they did the same for our mother and a second one. Well, let me tell you two things. Neither my mother nor Gramps could swim. I also tell you that my mother was terrified the whole time we canoed down the river. I think she left fingerprint marks on the canoe gunwales. Stephen was the most experienced canoeist, so he always took Mom in his canoe. The only time she relaxed at all was when she circled the wagons, or in this case canoes, to get the goodies that Mom would dole out. She was forever feeding us. It never failed, no matter what the problem. Mom thought food would fix it. Gramps, on the other hand, did not have a care in the world. He took to it like a duck takes to the water. He was instructed not to move, and he followed those instructions to the letter. As a matter of fact, we had to drag the canoe up onto the shore with him firmly ensconced in his throne chair before he would get out of the canoe. One other thing of note was that my stepfather had a proclivity to tip over his canoes and just for the fun of it. So nobody but my sister was willing to come with him, canoe with him. We also knew better than to load any of the food or other gear in that canoe. In the canoe. Sure enough, he flipped it over and both him and my sister took a dunk. He just thought it was the greatest. I know my sister was a little miffed, but she didn't let him know it. Such things, memories, are made of. Sadly, five of these people are no longer with us. Gramps, Ronnie, Edward, Rita, and Stephen have all left us, and they will all be sorely missed. Gramps and Racquetball. As I stated before, Stephen was an avid racquetball player. On one of our trips to visit Regina, he thought it would be fun if the whole family went and played at the courts. Of course, other than Regina, none of us had a clue how to play. Edward was the only one that had any experience with a racket, and that was a tennis racket. Mom took a few swats at the ball with Regina, but she was so bit funny playing that neither ones could stop laughing while they played. The more they laughed, the more they peed, so eventually we had to call that match for rain. LOL. Gramps played with Stephen. The poor guy did everything but hand him the ball. Picture this, if you can. Our grandpa was wearing a jacket with a hat and his patented bedroom slippers with cigarette firmly clenched in his stubby-fingered left hand taking one swing after another and getting nothing but air. He never once hit the ball. You could tell that he was really trying his best to hit that ball because he started puffing on his cigarette even harder. 
Eventually, Stephen had to call to stop before Grant Program stroked out. Don't refinance your house ten times. Story about my brother Robert. If you read my memoir, you're aware that my mother, stepfather, and I moved to Florida in the early 70s. My brother Robert and his family followed us a few years later. Robert just never could seem to make a go of it in Florida, despite trying several different career paths. One was delivering his papers, another was moving, mowing lawns. When he first moved to Florida, he was still a Catholic. However, he and his wife became involved with born-again Christians. Their leader bought a large tract of land in Georgia to start a small community of his followers. Robert and Doreen decided to follow him there. Robert had a nice two to three acre lot on the side of a mountain. He built a very nice log cabin with seconds for a virtual song. Not only was his land paid for, but his house was paid for as well. The problem was that he could not find suitable work. He tried working in a grocery store, among the other things. The problem was that work was hard to come by in the town in northern Georgia. All the best jobs went to the local long-timers who were either born <coughs> born there or had lived most of their lives there. So he started following his typical plan by refinancing the house to buy different businesses. While ten times was an exaggeration, three times was not. Finally, his payments were so big that he could no longer make the monthly mortgage. He subsequently was forced to sell his house. I think this was the straw that broke the camel's back. While Doreen did not leave him then, you could sense that she had almost reached her breaking point. She loved that log cabin. It truly was a nice house. They had busted their asses building it and fixing it up. They even had a small pond stocked with fish on it. So the point of the story is, live within your means. No place is perfect. It just doesn't exist. He finally did start to fit in, but by then his health was ruined right along with his marriage. His children wanted nothing to do with him at the end. Summer Road Trip from Hell, Part 2, Ronnie's Turn. In a previous chapter, I described, discussed, our parents' road trip out west. I stated that it was the first part. Well, here is the second part. This involves a, a new generations of Landry's with only Ronnie being the repeater. You have to give my brother credit. He had this trip all planned out. He had a travel trailer with every amenity known to man. His SUV had plenty of power to do the job, but it was not the only thing that a vehicle needs to have to do this type of work. My brother had an old Chevy Blazer that weighed over 5,000 pounds. The problem arose is that it had virtually no wheelbase, and this provided for an incredibly bumpy ride, one that even broke the hitch. The only thing that saved the trailer were the trailer chains. They were quite lucky also in the location that it broke because there was a trailer and hitch repair shop not too far away. After a few hours, they were able to get their hitch welded and straightened out. The rest of the first day, went without a hitch, haha, as did a few more days as well. Unfortunately, the good luck did not continue. After stopping for lunch on the side of the road, and as luck would have it, they forgot to lock the trailer door. As they were getting speed, they left, hit a pothole on the road. No biggie, right? Well, thanks to dumb luck. If not for it, it could have been even worse. They had to quickly make a right-hand turn after they hit the pothole, and it just so happened that Amory looked out of her side window and saw a big dog running across the field. Ricky shouts, that's our dog. 
Suddenly, Ronnie pulls off the road, and the two boys go running after the dog. They finally catch him after crossing two county lines and bring him back to the trailer where they make sure to lock the trailer door this time. They continued on their trip for a few more weeks, but the trail had long since faded with each bounce of the truck. So after consensus was reached, they shortened the trip and returned home before they had reached their planned-upon destination. When Ronnie got home, he promptly put this trailer up for sale. Randy is infested with fleas and discovers a swamp thing. Ronnie, in his infinite wisdom, hired me to keep his pool clean for him while he was gone this summer on his road trip out west. Prior to this job, what I knew about pools and maintenance could fit on the pack of a bubblegum wrapper. Ronnie gave me instructions, which I dutifully wrote down. He told me how long the bleach canisters would last, so the first week went by with no problem. I was enjoying life. I would clean the pool once a week, cycle through whatever the hell it is called, and watch HBO on his TV. For the second week, I was not able to even stay in the house because apparently all the fleas from their dogs decided to stay in Florida for the summer, and they all had babies. So you could see the damn fleas jumping on the floor. It was like a friggin' flea circus. I had bites all over my damn legs. Well, so much for that perk. At least it was now off limits. On the third week, God rained fire and brimstone from heaven, so I thought when I went to the backyard and found to my dismay the pool was a pea soup green color. Great, I killed their effing pool. Ronnie apparently hated me and lied to me about the cancer's lifespan or the summer beat that shit out of it. I called my stepfather up and he came over to the house to see what we could, he could do to help. The only thing we could think of was to shock the pool. So I went to Walmart and bought 10,000 gallons of bleach and poured it into the pool. Well, that did the trick. Besides, the fumes were so strong that I shocked two of the neighbor's pools by osmosis alone. Once all the algae and, of course, the swamp creature now living in the pool all had died, the filters were all clogged up, so I had to clean them out and vacuum the pool till my arms fell off. When my brother called and told me that he was coming home early, I had had a heart attack. Because of now, I was already in hyperdrive. I somehow found another gear and kicked it up a notch. I made one more spot check on the pool the day before they were to arrive, and the pool was sparkling. It looked better than I had ever seen it before. Guess what my sister-in-law did? She shocked the effing pool before she let the kids swim in it. I was so pissed. How I met my first girlfriend. During high school years, my high school years, I became seriously sick on two occasions. Both times required lengthy hospital stays. On both occasions, I became became close to my primary nurses. I know I'm such a sap. However, uh, I only followed through with one of these related friendships. I developed strong feelings for a young Korean nurse. We dated for several months, and there is no telling where our relationship would have gone if she had not moved back to live with her family. She had originally come to the U.S. to pursue her nursing career. However, she became lonely and eventually left our fair country. We were quite clearly how we met the first time. Our first meeting will probably go down as the least romantic meeting of all time. It was around midnight, and I was very weak and sick. I was having problems with my gastrointestinal tract. I had just totally emptied my bowels all over the bed and was so weak that I frankly didn't care. I'm not sure why this had happened, because I originally came in with a kidney infection. The only thing I can think of was that I went septic, and the antibiotics caused my stool to be loose. It only lasted for one day, thank God. At that time, nurses worked eight-hour shifts, so... She had just finished 
getting report and was doing her initial rounds when she found me in my embarrassing state. I hadn't hit the call light because I was just too weak to do so. So here I am, a 17-year-old male, being totally cleaned up by this absolutely gorgeous Asian nurse. I remember how soft her voice was and she was so gentle. She immediately put me at ease. Since this was our first shift of the week, I got to spend the next four nights with her as my night nurse. On my last night day, I asked her if I could have her personal phone number, and she said yes. We spent the next several months together, but we unfortunately did not consummate our relationship. She was very conservative in her beliefs. I am sure that if she remained living in the world U.S., we would have become much more serious. Who knows what my life would have been like. I did not date another Asian woman until I was in my early 50s. I eventually married a Filipino. I am sure this story will not go down in history as a most romantic relationship, but are you surprised that I would meet my first girlfriend this way? Randy Petals Produce My Florida story would not be complete without at least including my work experiences with my older brother, Ronnie. After Ronnie lost his disability from his cardiac event, he tried different career paths. He tried opening up his own deli. He could not seem to make ends meet. Sorry, it had to be done. Our mother would help out in the deli during the lunchtime. Even with his son and wife working there for nothing, he just wasn't making any money. So he tried a produce delivery business where he made deliveries to restaurants. This is where I came in. I would help make deliveries to many of the restaurants. He actually made up a secondary route where I would use his smaller truck to make deliveries on a secondary route on the side. He paid me well for Florida wages anyway. I did this for one year. It was hard work and I think he expanded too far too fast. He thought if he could have his own warehouse, he could buy in bulk when the prices were lower on certain items. I even helped him build two coolers. When his son graduated from high school, he helped me send some. Ricky had other plans, though. He wanted to be a cop. I was also too busy with my college to really work much with him. Besides, our brother Ronnie was just too hard to work for. He expected total loyalty for $4 per hour, so I quit after a while. The final straw was when Ricky got admitted to the police academy. His health began to fail him as well, so he finally gave up on it. The work was just too hard. He finally got chose real estate as a new career path. He did very well and was making big money. When he started getting too big for his britches, he ended up divorcing his wife over over 20 years and started dating one of his assistants. It was then he got his second DUI that things fell apart and he almost lost everything. He went back to his wife and they finally remarried. It was out of necessity because he had no driver's license. He scaled way back in real estate and was never truly able to build back his business. He was also finally forced to sell his egg house. He moved on to a large lot and put a single wide mobile home on the property. I would help him on his computer network in his new office. Unfortunately, Ronnie's health would continue to deteriorate over the years and he finally, he would die just a month before my father did. Don't buy a pickup truck if you have friends or a family. My parents always said never to buy a pickup truck because you will live to regret it. My mother said that your friends will always be asking you for help in moving either their stuff or their household. You know she was right. What she failed to tell me was that she would abuse me even more. 
It seemed like I was making trips to Home Depot almost every week for her. Projects around the house just seemed to crop up out of nowhere. But the funny thing, she didn't consider it as a form of abuse like I was going to be with my friends. I guess the old way of saying, what is good for the goose is good for the gander, did not pertain to her and hers. It became even worse when I bought an enclosed trailer for my camping supplies. My first wife and I liked to go camping and do road trips. So we bought this used trailer and put storage shelves in it. We had it all loaded up with our camping gear, golf clubs, fishing gear, and mountain bikes. I built a rack on the roof for our canoe. The fun started when our mother and father hired our oldest brother Ronald to build a two-story shed in their backyard. Of course, they needed all kinds of lumber. I no longer had to pick up the, had the pickup truck. I had an Isuzu Trooper 2 with a hitch to pull the trailer. So now I had to empty the damn trailer every time they wanted me to make a run to Home Depot. I tried to hint to them that they could just order everything at once and have them delivered to their house. It was pretty reasonable. As a matter of fact, that is what I did when I put the addition on the back of my house. What finally pushed me over the edge is that they wanted me to drive a 150-mile round trip to get building materials for them. Of course, they never offered to pay for the gas and to help me empty my trailer or to put the stuff back in it after we were done. Imagine that. I had bought this trailer to make it easier to make take my road trips. The premise being that I would have everything ready for my road for them. For these trips, with the exception of food and clothes loaded already. Now I was constantly unpacking my trailer to help my parents. Besides that, my brother's time was so valuable that he got compensated for it while my time was worth nothing. You know what? I refused to make this trip to get our building supplies. Apparently it was insulation. They had got a good deal on it. Imagine that. They saved money because they did not have to pay for the delivery fee. Simp that I was, was going to absorb the cost for them. Only then, only did I fail to mention that I was working full-time and going to nursing school during this time as well. It only gave me one day off a week, which I desperately needed for my studies and my class projects. I want you to know that I love my parents, but my mother could be a bit much on occasion. This is what she did. She refused to talk to me for months on end. Eventually, I think my stepfather talked to her and she realized how wrong she was because she finally made the first overtures. She also brought me a drill press at Big Lots for financial resolution for all my supply runs. It cost $200 for the drill press. Do you want to know how much Home Depot charged me for delivering? Which filled up three pallets? It cost me 100 That included cement, cinder blocks, sheetrock, lumber, roofing materials, everything I needed to put up that addition. My mother's whole thought process is that she wanted to involve the whole family in her project. She thought I would like to do it for her. Well, that was a big no. I was just too damn busy. It was stuff like this that ended up driving me out of Florida. Compound this with in-laws and a needy brother, and I was getting crushed. My wife and I just did not have any free time. Oh, to top that off, we moved to Las Vegas. Nobody offered to help us pack or move. Yes, I can still taste the sour grapes. One more thing. I only had to help one friend move with my pickup truck, and I never had to use my trailer to help any of them. So who was my mother protecting me from with her parental advice? Don't marry an agoraphiliac exhibitionist if you are shy. I mentioned my fiancé. In several occasions in my memoirs, now I am going to spend a little more time discussing her behavior. 
I've decided to break her behavior into two separate counts, mainly because they cover two radically different behavior patterns. I'm sure that you can tell that I have pretty strong feelings about her since I use terms of endearment like psycho bitch and redheaded Sasquatch when I discuss her. You may have also noticed that I use aliases for people that I treat in a less than kindly manner. I do this so that they can't come back and sue me for defamation of character. Sometimes I also use these aliases just for fun or to emphasize their behaviors. Case in point, my sister's son, Marty, a.k.a. Hellboy. He was a bit of an alien when he was young, but I still loved him. And he was has turned into quite a nice young man. But with my fiancé, there was no such sentiment. I still carry a grudge to her. And when I think about her, there is no fondness in my feelings. To be honest with you, I did not even know that there was such a thing as people being addicted to sex in public places. All there is, there is even a term for it, agoraphilia. It is defined as sexual eroticism that is contingent on being outdoors or on having sex in public places. In many of these cases, the individual with this affliction does not reach a climax or has less satisfying climaxes when they don't occur in public places. I have to tell you, this type of behavior can be quite exhilarating and yes, even a little scary. And the year that I was in this relationship, relation, we christened just about every state park within 100 miles of our domicile. We also engaged in these erotic places. Activities at public beaches, movie theaters, and other places of business. We also engaged in these activities at people's houses. Amusement parks were particularly enticing places for her. I actually think that we spent less time in our apartment having sex than we did in public places. The closer we were to be discovered, the more excited she became. This type of behavior is certainly not for the faint of heart or for those of us who are shy. You certainly have to be comfortable with your nude body and your sexuality. It certainly made for a very highly charged erotic year. I might also add that this type of behavior is for young people who tend to perform more quickly, if you know what I mean. One thing of note, we never once got caught, though there were a few close calls. I'd like to make one caveat. Sex mobile cases, while fun, is illegal, so you do so at your own risk. Sex in the water, salt, or otherwise looks better in the movies. Looks better in the movies than it is in reality. Sunbathing in the nude can be also quite painful. You will certainly pay the price for no tan lines. Skin that is not used to getting exposed to the sunlight will also burn much more easily. Salt water and sand also finds its way into places that it was never meant to go. So while these activities may look glamorous, they really don't live up to the hype. <laughs> don't marry a red-headed Sasquatch, a.k.a. Psycho Bitch. My fiancé was not only a redhead, she was six foot tall, one to boot. Redheads are typified as impulsive, quick-tempered, libidinous, and wild. The personalities of people with red hair are often believed to be imitative of their red hair, and they are seen as fiery, hot-tempered, hot-blooded, passionate, and angry. This was my fiancé in a nutshell. I've already discussed her libido, now I'm going to discuss her other assets. While I've committed to sex was great and extremely excited, the non-stop rollercoaster ride that our lives were was simply exhausting. We never knew what would set her off. She was very impulsive, and if she got something in her head, she did it, no matter what the repercussions were. She was very hot-tempered, and as a result, we got into a lot of fights, verbal and physical.
I was always taught not to hit a woman, so I usually ended up paying the price when the fights turned physical. She even gave me a black eye one time, so I must admit it was a very light one at that, not like the ones you see on TV. I don't want you to get this wrong. It was not whipped or anything. It was just the way I was raised. I was very strong at this time and could easily have hurt her if I had tried, but that was not of my nature. I think this emboldened her as well because she knew I would not hit her back. However, she did push me a little too far when she tried to claw my eyes out. I have already told you that she was six feet tall. What I did not mention was that she weighed close to 200 pounds and was quite strong, but her size did not matter one bit. I simply picked her up off the floor and threw her across the room where she hit the wall with a resounding thud. The show of strength would have dissuaded any irrational person. All it did to her was infuriate her even more. Now she came back to me with a growl and tried to rip my shirt off my back. I simply stiff-armed her in the chest and she dropped like a sack of potatoes. I promptly fell on top of her and held her in a tight bear hug with her arms pinned against her sides. I held her this way till she finally calmed down about five hours later. I was called every name under the sun during this cooling down process. While this altercation did not spell the end of our relationship, it certainly accelerated its demise. I finally came to my senses and broke off the relationship. Of course, that precipitated another big fight, but at least it was our last one. Alcohol and volleyball don't mix. Now on to my stories. It is about damn time. You may say to yourself, he uses damn a lot. I think it is a great word. I will continue to use it, so stop trying to analyze everything. During my first serious relationship where I became engaged and lived with a psycho bitch and son, we had two memorable parties. Since they are memorable, I will, of course, bore you with both of them. Yes, I have a point to discussing both of them. I usually do have reasons for everything I do. Other times, I just wing it. The first party story was memorable because it was the first party I organized. It was a typical party with friends, coworkers, family, and neighbors. Yes, it was too big and too expensive, but it was great, and my coworkers talked about it, the party, for quite some time afterwards, so it was worth it. It also showed my eldest brother that I wasn't a loser because I quit working for him. I know the story for another time. I ran out of all of our supplies, and I had to go out and get more. We had steaks. I know steaks. What the hell was I thinking? My fiance's idea. We had all kinds of beverages, including alcoholic stuff. One of my friends took over grilling and did a great job at it. At the end of the party, we were all drunk, so full contact volleyball seemed like a good idea. I am sad to say that it will never be in an event in the Olympics, though it should be. The Nelson's ratings would certainly be higher. Rules, there were no real rules. It was just plain fun, and so what if we got a few bumps and bruises? So it was a resounding success, not too bad for my first party. The total guest count was over 30 people. To this day, I truly don't know what the actual head count was. Who cares? I'm not a statistician for Christ's sakes. Well, this concludes my reading for this particular time. Um, I will continue on tomorrow. You have a great day, and I hope you, as always, have been enjoying my stories.